0: Hi, welcome to Offscript, I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Today on the show, we're talking about Skinnamarink. Oh God, we gotta talk about this movie.
1: <laughs> yes, oh my God.
0: I feel like this is all anybody on Twitter has been talking about, and I know there's other corners of the internet, but like, man, the algorithm has figured out that I've seen Skinnamarink, and I can't get away from the memes <laughs> and the discourse. It's a very it's a very divisive horror movie. I don't think people listening may know.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's something else definitely surprised me um, You know, it was really c- creeped out by the trailer, and I'm surprised it's taken off the way it has, consider- considering it's, it's, it's a very like low-budget, small thing.
0: <laughs> Me too. We're also talking about the Golden Globes. Uh, the Oscar picks are officially coming out next week. We've seen a lot of those <laughs> movies this year uh red letter year for off script uh, at the cinema last year so I, I feel pretty good about saying we've got hot takes but the golden globes are out uh, or the winners are out at least we're gonna take a look at some of those and see what might transfer over and what may just not happen uh we're gonna talk, look at tar uh this movie came out last year starring Kate blanchett as an incredibly talented famous composer or conductor i'm sorry uh we watched it and we're gonna let you know what we thought i'm glad we finally got around to this one uh we missed it last year but not not anymore got in our sights uh and first of all we need to get to the news. Our first story this week, HBO Max is hiking their prices for the first time ever, effective immediately. In fact, uh, already. This this happened on the 12th, so we're 5 days past it. Uh, HBO bumped their prices on their subscription. They didn't even tell people, Andy. This wasn't announcement; They just did it. It, it was, <laughs> it was right. wild. Uh, how That's much did right. it go
1: up? It's going to be going up an entire dollar. <laughs> and this is just for the ad-free version that it's going up from 14.99 to 15.99 uh on the billing that starts next month so it's not quite right away it was just announced um but this goes in line with uh HBO or Warner Media trying to make the streaming just more profitable they're raising the price they're also they've cut already cut a ton of content from their library which is mostly cut to ha- to not have to pay residuals royalties to actors producers all that and uh they're looking to License those out to other ad-supported outlets, maybe something like Paramount Plus or something like that. Tubi, who knows? Uh, we found
0: the store in Variety, who has like this wild chart of <laughs> streaming services and monthly rates across January, whether or not it's ad-supported or not. In fact, if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, where we live stream the show, you could see this. Uh, I I guess listen obviously i don't like it when any of these places hike prices it's a bummer when amazon prime goes up it's a bummer when netflix goes up but hbo might have figured out like the softest way to do it very small increments and with no runtime to think about it they just they just came out hey we're upping at a dollar sorry like it's the first time we've done it it's fine like typically netflix will announce yeah in in three months we're gonna up prices come june we're gonna go up three dollars january 2023 you better expect a hike and, like, I think that, I don't know, that gives me more time to dwell on it and get mad. But if you kind of just say, hey, it's a dollar, here it is, I, I think it's going to fly under a lot of people's radar.
1: Yeah. I, also, they have not raised prices in since the, the service launched in 2020. So it's almost a whole full three years with the price being the same. That's kind of unheard of. And so it's not unexpected. And it's, it's just a, a dollar amount. It's, most people aren't going to cancel uh, over that um, it's also important to know that the whatever big streaming service they're coming up with that's going to be a combination of HBO and Discovery whatever that whole thing is it's supposed to be coming out this spring which will be called Max for that's what, what we know for now um, so that's on the horizon as well
0: speaking of things on the horizon uh, a movie that was out in theaters that you might have missed we actually covered it here on the show you can go back and listen to the episode uh, Decision to Leave is coming back to theaters uh, with an exclusive conversation between Park Chan-wook and Bong Joon-ho. Andy found this story. Uh, It's a bit of a slow news week, which is why it's worth covering, but it's kind of a special movie if if you missed it. I think it might be worth catching it. When's it going to be out, Andy?
1: Uh, February 13th, just in time for Valentine's Day. It is a mystery mystery romance. (laughs) Uh, It's it's a bit tragic. (laughs) Maybe don't take your significant other uh um, but it was a really fabulous movie we haven't seen a, a movie from park chan wook in about 5 years his last entry was uh the handmaiden which is a korean era uh period piece adapted from a british novel uh so we hadn't seen anything for a long time really mature movie you it's nice to see a director it just constantly improve and it's going to be back in theaters and it will also be accompanied by a conversation between Uh, famed Korean director Bong Joon-ho and Park Chan-wook himself
0: Um, we don't have the Oscar noms again those are coming next Tuesday but for now uh, Decision to Leave is shortlisted for Best International Future like it's it's considered that this might be, you know, one of the biggest films of the year uh, from cinemas that aren't in the United States. So it's worth mentioning that it's pretty good. We already covered it on the show. I can't recall which episode. You can just scroll down a ways on episodes and you'll see Not too long ago. Just, just a couple of months ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long yeah. ago we went and saw it. And if you want to catch that conversation between Bong Joon-ho and Park Chan-wook, it's actually already online, Just crazy. crazy. Uh, YouTube's got it on Movies official channel, so you can go check it out there. It's a four and a half minute conversation i'm going to, to watch that after the show one more thing before we get to skin of uh avatar 2 crosses 1.9 billion dollars globally
1: <laughs> he's done it it can't, it can't god, be stopped. He's done it again
0: god james cameron cannot be defeated uh after a whole lot of bluster leading up to the release of avatar 2 it turns out not only has it made its money back in droves but it is well on its way to James Cameron's big fat goals of making this one of another biggest films ever uh, I think it's just about to beat or it just beat spider-man no way home uh or Sp- homecoming that's the one the last spider-man movie uh in the box office I don't know what it's about to topple next but I think the two billion dollar mark yeah I mean it's in its sights right I think it's probably gonna cross over any <laughs> probably this this week I think
1: yeah it's Will only be the sixth film to have crossed the $2 billion mark, uh, which is crazy. And again, I mean, I was totally wrong. I I thought this would putter out at like a billion, billion and a half at at, at most. And it's well on its way past that. Could hit, you know, two and a half. Could it I3? Who knows? Um, It would be the first movie to do that if it did. But huge, huge weekend for Avatar 2. It continues to just stay in theaters and people continue to go, which is just mind-blowing because it's it's hard to do that in in this climate. And no film that isn't like a sequel or, a, or I guess it is a sequel, but it's not a really familiar franchise property has really been a- able to do that. So that's really pretty incredible. In the number two slot, we had Megan doing uh, another 20, 20 or so odd million has made 60 million domestic, even more globally on a $12 million budget. So another... Big win for small ho- horror. I know the folks over at Blumhouse and Atomic Monster are really happy about that. And they, they're already talking sequels. It's, it's going to be going in. And we uh, we had a couple of new entries. We had a, a Man Called Otto, which is the two Tom Hanks family dramedy take your parents to see, see movie. Uh, and also playing uh, to round out the top five with uh, Gerard Butler in a kind of B action movie.
0: Uh, last, last week, I made a claim about Man Called Otto, and I wasn't sure. Uh, I asked whether or not that he, Tom Hanks' character is actively trying to commit suicide in that movie, because I'd read that somewhere, and Andy wasn't sure, so I went back and looked it up. It is. That's exactly what's going on in that movie. <laughs> so, a bit of a content warning? I can't believe they don't advertise that. I mean, I guess you're not going to advertise that somebody's trying to, you know, harm arm themselves, but like, oh my god. <laughs> I can't believe can't believe that's what's happening in there. It's like uh, Elizabethtown with Orlando Bloom. Like, there's a scene where he's, <laughs> like, just, uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I I think of everything I've seen at the box office this week, uh, I'm most surprised by two things. Number one, it's going to rank, but we'll get to that shortly. Number two, uh, man, people really like that new Puss in Boots movie. Like, the, the critic score is, like, 20% higher <laughs> than the score, critic score for Avatar. Like, it just seems like across the board, everybody seems to think that movie's pretty good. Uh, and if we're not careful, I think we're going to be looking at another Shrek movie. Probably pretty soon, right? Like that's—it's got to be something like that in the pipe because that's where it comes from. It's—it's it's, it's, Shrek Reborn, Shrek IP. Yeah, that's right. Shrek Six coming to There's a theater near you. Shrek Origins. Yeah, Sh- Shrek Gun Maverick. Um, <laughs>
1: uh, a Shrek story.
0: Yeah, a Shrek story indeed. But otherwise, uh, not a very surprising week at the movies. I, I think I like real quick. I. I love the variety of things that are in theaters right now. Like <laughs> cin- cinema is coming back in a big way, baby. We got big CGI avatar. We got exciting animated children, film for kids. that's actually doing like really cool animation, Puss in Boots. We got weird horror skin going around. Uh, Megan is doing this like camp horror thing. Some good variety out there. All right. Just, just, just across the board. It's not a bad time at the movies right now. Might be worth t- taking a date out or, you know going to see something because man there's a lot of weird stuff out and i it's not a bad january i don't think right andy
1: no it it's like i said january is usually a kind of a bad month for films that we've actually had some pretty decent releases this month
0: yeah we sure have and with that we should probably get to one of the most exciting things i think we might have ever watched for this show uh listen <laughs> if you don't know a lot about skin and um I'm not sure where exactly to start in on it, but I think we should just kind of go for it. Uh, The movie is Marink*.
1: In this house.
0: So Marink* is a... A different kind of horror picture. Uh, I explained a little bit at the end of last week's show. Uh, Skin of is a micro-budget horror, a la The Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity, right? It's an indie horror film made with very, very little money, $15,000 to be exact, uh, by a YouTuber uh, who started a channel a while back where he would uh, film like creatively low, incredibly low-budget, lo-fi uh, ideas that you users would submit for their nightmares, things that people saw in their dreams, sleep paralysis. Uh, Kyle Edward Ball would film this and create uh, little shorts out of it. And one nightmare that he kept seeing over and over and over again was, I'm like six years old, I'm in my house, I'm watching cartoons at night, none of the lights work, and there's no doors and windows, and mom and dad aren't there, and I can't get out, and there's something in the house with me. There's, there's something in the dark like that I just, it's like haunting me. I can't get away from it. Uh, and he took that idea and he developed this into a 100-minute feature called Skinamarink. Skinamarink plays at the digital uh, portion of, I think, South by Southwest uh, Film Festival and causes quite a stir. But because it's the digital portion and not actually physical, uh, somebody rips it off and puts it online and creates a... A, a bit of a pirate loop for Skinamarink, where people start talking about it, and then they post a link to it, and somebody else says, "Oh, I've got a link for it right here," and it passes on Reddit, it starts moving through Tumblr, and somebody sets up a Google Drive for it. Before you know it, Skinamarink is getting passed all over the place. Skinamarink drives up so much buzz for its unnatural trappings and its crazy horror uh, that <laughs> it ends up getting picked up by Shudder, the horror company, uh, the horror streaming service, who runs it into a cinematic release. This $15,000 movie plays in 600 theaters uh, in the United States. The same number of theaters that Netflix put Glass Onion in for a week. uh, And so far it has made $700,000. A horror film that would not have been what it is without the piracy of people stealing it. (laughs) And, And would not have the buzz that it has without... What's happening in it? So, with all that, and that's way too much intro. Let's talk about Skinamarink. Skinamarink is a horror film about two young boys or a young boy and a young girl in 1995 whose father goes missing. And while in their house at the dead of night, all of the doors and windows begin to disappear, and slowly they begin to find that there is something lurking in the darkness with them uh, that they can't get away from—some uh, kind of unseen evil, some kind of unseen horror. Uh, it is an incredibly Low budget horror film, uh, that takes really creative strides to be scary and different by just kind of using very still shots, very thick film grain, very clever sound design, uh, and a whole lot of ambience and tone to develop a feeling of like being trapped in the darkness uh in, in your theater. Um, people have said you should watch it best at home alone. People have said maybe it plays best in a the theater. I'm excited to talk about it, Andy. What What do you think of Skinamarink?
1: Man, this is one of the scariest movies I've seen in a long time. It's <laughs> It's probably scared me more. So, like I, the last thing that really scared me w- was Hereditary back in uh, 2018. And I, it's funny because I was recently thinking I was like, nothing's really scared me like that m- movie. Like, there's creepy stuff here and there, or a good jump scare here and there, but nothing has really gotten under my skin like this movie did. It is painfully slow but it it feeds on that fear uh the fear of the unknown kind of just like being scared of the dark and if like if you've ever been home late at night all the lights are off and like you think maybe you see something out of the corner of your eye or you know you you think that like that coat and hat on the rack it looks like a person and this preys on on that fear because so many of the shots are are like looking down an empty hallway or like you just see The frame is just, part of it is lit, and there's lots of looking into dark voids, and it's like your eyes are kind of playing tricks on you, and you're like, is something there? Is something not? Or is something moving? And it just, it really gets in in your head that way, and there's danger and not danger at, at the same time. Like, you know that this, these kids are trapped with some sort of entity in this house, but also it's, they're not just like being attacked outright either.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with Andy. I think Skinnerink might be one of the scariest movies I've seen in a really long time. Uh and that that, sca- that that scariness, that that haunting nature of it comes from its like uncanny ability to prey on this like kind of kind of really deep set in fear we all have of being like a kid and being scared of the dark um, in your house, right? Like not, not, not like the dark in the woods, just like just trying to go to sleep and being afraid of what's in the hallway or the door that creaks open at night. and You don't know where it comes from. Like the things that go bump in the night or the things that skin preys on. And much like Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity, um, you're not going to get any, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be spoilery here, but you're not getting like wall to wall, insane CGI action scares or anything. Far from it. Just like those movies, like Skin and Rink is effective in its minimalism. It's what you don't see that's scary. Like it's the things that that aren't jumping out at you, that your brain is creating in the darkness that starts to freak you out. And part of the reason that's so effective is because of its uh, very explicit dedication to showing basically as little as possible inside of this house. Uh, the film is very dark, uh, not only in like its brightness, Uh, But in its color, uh, it's practically black and white. Like it's very, very desaturated, very toned back and covered in film grain that we'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, And often the camera is not moving. In fact, the, the dedication to not having any kind of moving camera is very explicit. The camera is usually very solid. It's just set on a tripod. And it'll be set low in the house, low in a hallway, low in a room, and looking up usually, like, like a kid would be, right? Like looking up at a hallway, looking up at the ceiling, up the stairs, uh, up at a light switch that you're going to try to flip on. And often uh, the, there's no movement. Nothing will happen. There, there, there are whole swath, swaths of this movie where it's more akin to a slideshow than it is to a movie. Like really, the the soundtrack is pretty persistent. You'll usually get some sweeping of music or 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 the television or maybe some dialogue. Um, but that all comes like uh, the visuals at the expense of a very thick soundtrack full of film grain. like that that the film grain in Skinner Marink* is as much a character as like the house. Um the noise of it, the static, covers the entire film. <laughs> I don't know if it ever goes away. Maybe it does. Um, But from the first frame to the last, you are seeing, you are hearing this dense static that everything runs under or over, and you have to see this, like, seven layers of After Effects film grain that they laid on top of the screen in everything. It's so thick, and it's like this kaleidoscope kind of look, at least up on the screen for us, like, where it just kind of turns in on itself, uh, and you constantly have this, like, illusion of very small motion through the film grain. While on screen, nothing is moving. And that means when you're looking into the darkness down a hallway, it's like you can almost see stuff down there. And your brain fills it in (laughs) with what you think might Mm. be uh, in the darkness. Um, And they do that for a (laughs) hundred minutes.
1: Yeah, part part of what's so effective is that there's just so much tension throughout the entire movie. I mean, it's like 20 minutes before something really significant happens but there's all this just like staring into the dark and moving around the house you kind of have you're oriented a little bit there's like a downstairs where there's this tv on plain old uh cartoon reruns there's the stairs that has this weird wood paneling and then there's the bedrooms upstairs and so you're moving kind of between these three uh places but it just it just gets in your head of, of like, is there something there? And there, is there something there? And it's the thing is, it stayed with me after the movie. Like, I got home, immediately had to turn on all the lights. Immediately had to, like, I was like, is the Skinner rink in my house? Is he in my apartment? Right. Um, And it, into the next day, it was just like, you know, I, I was getting creeped out in my own place. And like, it's been a long time since the movie did that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Skinner Marink is uh, effective, especially for those of us at home uh, in the United States because. It's filmed at, like, a standard Midwestern, like, you know, mid-colonial 90s home. Uh It's it's not particularly special. In fact, the director, Kyle Edward Ball, shot it in his parents' house, uh, the house he grew up in. So I'm sure he was able to tug on a lot of these old memories from back in the day. But uh when you go home to, like, any home in America, usually your your interior architecture looks functionally the same. <laughs> so when you turn off the lights in your house and you look up at the corners of the walls and down hallways, like, you're seeing Skinner The only thing you're missing... Is the film grain. Um, But boy, uh, it it really does have this kind of haunting effect because not only does it spooky out of the dark, but like the very scenes you're you're, you're, you're seeing or not seeing this strange thing in is your house. (laughs) It looks like the room you sleep in. It looks like the hallways (laughs) you walk through. Like and you can't get away from it, and it's funny. Like watching this in a theater and then driving home because it doesn't hit you till you get home and you open your door <laughs> and you start looking around and see the same colors of paint, you know, and the same popcorn ceilings that they've got in this house. Uh, and suddenly, like you're 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 right back there, you know. That, now I should say, uh, this does this deep and dense horror uh, comes at a cost, and that cost is a very 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 slow agonizingly slow first half so slow uh we have heard a uh, on off script and and on Twitter actually I was reading this just last night um there are people who, who are walking out who can't who can't do it it's so damn boring and I I too also had this problem
1: <laughs> yeah uh I had some friends who went and saw it and they didn't make it halfway through they kept nodding off
0: right friends of the show friends wait, of the show wait, like yeah people who go see big bold which, cinema
1: which admittedly I dozed off a little bit in the first 30 minutes because I was just a little bit too comfortable. My heat was, my seat was heated. Oh, seat heaters are nice. Feeling a little nappish, and uh, it dozed off a little bit myself. But uh, yeah, it's, some people, it, it's definitely incredibly slow, like Memorial level slow. We've talked about that movie before. Um, it's a very, and but you got to know what you're getting into. It. It's very experimental. Like it's going to be incredibly slow. Things are going to move at a snail's pace. They're gonna get you into this mood. And um, it could definitely be cut down. It could maybe work better as an eighty, ninety minute feature, but it, it's worth sticking with. Like if you can that's why I, I'm really, you know, sad that my my friends left at the half like before the halfway point cuz i was like if you had made it to the halfway point Man. You finished it out cuz like the yes. second the back half of that movie is really where it's at um but it is incredibly slow and it's very i mean it's like what you would watch in film school or like as a musician it's like we would learn about kind of avant-garde new music uh creation like it's in that vein of experimentalism of being new and avant-garde and that's generally not what you go to the theater to see or see in the theater or see at this length but it, it's one of those things if you can you can kind of grind through the the slow <laughs> slower bits um i think it's really worth the payoff
0: yeah um skin and rank I, I i feel like for for those who may not know, know, know nothing about it and have listened to our review up to this point for all of our praise in the first chunk of this it seems like well how, what do you mean people are walking out is it too scary is it is it what's wrong with it it's it's too boring it is agonizingly boring. It's too <laughs> like you know,
1: it, It's too slow-paced.
0: To yes, it. like it it is I mean there there they, I mean I I also think I dozed off at one point, probably fully, like for a minute or two, and then woke back up in the theater. Um I mean, I was getting sleepy eyes. I got that I got cozy seat, it's the end of the day. And you think like how do you get how do you, how do you get lulled to sleep by a movie that's so scary? How how do you get you know how, how does this happen and and this is something I've been pondering since I saw this movie like why wouldn't you cut that down like it doesn't need to be a hundred minutes it's an IFC midnight label film even like this could this could be 70 minutes and still technically run in 600 theaters you don't have to hit any kind of limit why is it so long why is it 30 minutes longer than it needs to be and I keep wondering if it's intentional if the idea is to disarm you, right? Like these kids in this house at night, the idea is that okay, things aren't so bad and the TV's on, and you can just start to kind of drift off. But then things start to happen. Like and as you start to kind of rouse in your seat, like suddenly things aren't right and things start going wrong. Uh, a window's not where it used to be, a door's weren't not, not where it used to be and you strain so much to see not only like what's not there but even what is i mean you never even get a good look at the kids in this movie you never see mom and dad's face if anything they're like uh they're like the parents in peanuts right like you just see them <laughs> like the knees down sometimes you'll just see like a, a you know a, a corner of a kid's head or like you know a hand like on the bed or something like you really don't get anything and your brain's got to work in overtime to put it all together. And by the time you get to the end of skin Marink, like I, if you aren't rattled, man, I I, like you're, you're, you're made out of stone (laughs) because it, it it really does. Like it lulls you into this feeling of like, it's not, this isn't that bad. I'm okay. And you're even bored by the time it turns up the heat and like, man, it, I I I I I can't. I don't know. It's either it's bad it editing it, or it's by design.
1: Part of it is, um, it's not just that it's long and that it's slow. It's also, uh, not how you would. It, it's not like a normal narrative film would be, where you introduce your characters, your a plot, b plot, conflict, vil- antagonist, villain, work through. Like it doesn't really have any of that because it's all about the feeling of a nightmare, a feeling of waking up in the middle of the night and feeling like you're an, alone. And so like Zach was saying, we don't get really get into we don't get introduced to our characters. We just know them as mom, dad, uh daughter, son. Like we said, we we don't ever see we don't see anyone's face. We just see, you know, we see people's legs most of the time, a lot of feet. We see, you know, you see the you see the, the world from the children's perspective you it's very low with the camera pointed up up, like them looking up at the ceiling up at the uh things and as you're seeing kind of spooky supernatural things but that's also part of why it's a challenging watch because it's not you're not getting all these kind of normal narrative films like i said it's very experimental it's very experiential it's about the feeling of of having a nightmare it's a nightmare come to life reminds me of something like uh moholland drive which is a dream Come to life,
0: yes, and and much like Mulholland or any dream or nightmare work at Salt like I it does feel front loaded with a lot of just kind of junk. But I think if you can get through to it to the end, like there's something really special happening in this movie. And I think if you're if you're if you're man, if you if you claim to be a real horror fan, uh if you like loved Hereditary and ate Midsummer up and can't wait to see the new Ari Aster picture, if you're like man, like gimme gimme gimme, I want more listen, you need to go take a swing at this movie because this this is something entirely different. And it's exciting. It's exciting that a movie like this is in theaters. And I want to talk about really quick um, how it got there. I know I kind of front-loaded the review with that story of um, how it got ripped off from a festival and started getting passed around online. But I, I mean it's really is interesting. Like fundamentally, this comes from a YouTuber who didn't even have a lot of subscribers, by the way. I went and looked. He's got like 7,000 subscribers on his very small channel. And he's got a 30-minute short on his channel that he made about a year ago called Heck. And Heck is actually like the concept for Skinamarink. It's much tighter. Uh, it's I don't think it's as chilling. I haven't actually watched it. Um, but I probably need to go back and revisit it. I think it's got actually even got a little bit more story than Skinnerink has. Uh Skinnerink keeps things relatively abstract and leaves your mind to wander, which I think is point. But I think it's interesting. Um this movie is in theaters because it got pirated so much. <laughs> I think it I think it's interesting that in small circles this movie went so viral Shudder picked it up. And like, now it's something we're talking about on this show. And it's weird, right? When something gets lifted by the internet and taken for a ride at the low, low cost of free. Um, and somehow it has also simultaneously been fantastic marketing. Um, Andy, do, do, I don't know. Do you think this movie plays best in a the theater? Is it, is it best to watch it at home? Like I mean, after you could... rip it off the internet? I, I mean, either way, I
1: think it's, go ahead. I think it could work either way. It. For me, it definitely worked in in the theater, and I think in some ways better because you're gonna have like the house. You will feel like the four year old because the house is gonna be as big as the the how a house is to a four year old by seeing it on the big screen. Also, also the sound design is a big part of it because it's it's the crackling of the of the static. It, it's the the thump that you hear upstairs overhead. It's the sound design is a big part of it. So it definitely works in the theater. At the same time watching it at home alone by yourself, I would actually kind of be terrifying, I think, but it, but you would have to commit to it. Like that means like no stopping it, no getting on your phone, like no, like really dedicating yourself to, to a hundred minutes of this.
0: Yeah. And, and that's a challenge. I think a lot of people obviously aren't going to mount one, one for one, you're probably not going to go pirate skin of a ring, especially because it will very quickly be on shutter. It's in theaters now, but number two, Dude, the attention span, I think, of people is not gonna withhold like the first half of this. Uh we I mean, even in our theater, like the girl sitting next to me got her phone out twice in the in like that first first half. Second half, dude, not once. She was clutching her pearls, hiding under the blanket she brought. <laughs> like it was it was great sitting next to somebody who, who didn't know I mean I didn't know what I was getting into, but clearly she didn't either. Um, and I think that's what was so really so interesting about Skin Rank is is it front loads its credits. And the movie ends and the lights come up and like nobody in our theater like just stood up like, well, that's that. And like strolled out like every one of us was like shook to the core (laughs) and everybody turns and starts talking to their friends like, oh, my God. Like, did you see that? (laughs) It was crazy. It it was one of those
1: those bits where I I was like angry because I had gotten so scared, man. (laughs) And I was mad that the film had let had made me get that scared.
0: Yes. Um, you know, I, I wonder what other horror, you know, creatives in the space are thinking about this movie. I'll bet Jason Bloom is like itching to talk to Kyle Edward Ball. <laughs> I bet I'll bet Bloomhouse, who's currently sporting Megan, is looking at Skinamarink making seven hundred thousand dollars in six in six hundred theaters and they're like, Oh my god, we gotta get a piece of whatever's happening here. Like it's truly something special. It's it's genuinely something different, and that's for better or worse. Like I, I, man, I think you either like what it's doing or you don't. But we should probably get to recommendations. I think uh, Andy, any other thoughts before we jump to recommendations?
1: Well, only that uh, a, f- a follow up to this film or whatever he does next um, would need to be. You know, more commercial, more tr- like it's some sort of traditional narrative with characters. Like, y- if you could capture the mood and, and the scares and the chilliness of this film and put it into something more commercial, like you would ha- you would have something.
0: I know, like if you if you ran this like in October, oh my God, people would be so spooked, like walking out of the theater and during spooky season. Like, I think there's there's really something special here. Um, and with that, we should get to it. Andy, would you recommend Skin
1: I would recommend it to fans of horror, <laughs> hardcore fans of horror, and to those who seek out bold cinema. Uh, like I said, it's it's very long. Or it's not very long. It's a hundred minutes, and it's incredibly slow. And it's very like you have to really be with it. You got to pay attention. It's experimental. It's experiential. Uh, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. It's not going to be for everyone, but I think if if you know what you're getting into and you know what kind of film it is. I think you'll have a much better time. Like if you would have walked in blind and you don't you just think you're going to see a, a regular horror movie, definitely kind of be be angry you went to see it. But I I think people who, who are looking for something things that are new and different, um, I, I think it, it would behoove you to uh to find the screening and get through it.
0: Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think Skinbrink's great. Um I think, yeah, if you're a horror fan, you should go see it. The the biggest warning in the front, my god you are going to be bored you you got to put your phone away all right have some have some guts put it on the line and give it give it your attention like i don't think you'll be disappointed like it's 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 a bit of an experience a lot of people said memoria was like uh more like an art gallery like going to like a showing than like a movie and like in its in its own weird way i think skin and Marink might also kind of fall into that category but like give it a go because What's happening in here? I think is really special, and I, I if you have the means, I'd say try to go see it in a theater. Just get swallowed by the screen, mm-hmm. like just really. <laughs> don't like, like, don't put yourself in a position where you can get your phone out. Yeah, I, I like, know. I think I might try to go see it again.
1: Like knowing knowing what it is now and how it ends, I think there's definitely a lot of that I missed in the beginning part, which I said is kind of difficult to get through. Um, but now I I definitely want to try and catch another screening.
0: I know. I don't. I I do think I'll be significantly more bored round two though that's the thing i do wonder if this, it's a bit of a one trick pony right is it gonna be it as fun be. the second time but at the same time like you i guarantee round two you still will not be able to predict where a lot of the events are gonna happen like because it's just a lot of long segments of like not a lot happening and that's what disarms you like before you know it you're right back in it um but yeah i think i might want to go see it again with that we should move on spent way too long talking about skin and rank but it's something special uh we need to talk about the golden globes that's right yes so the golden globes happened uh we don't normally cover them a lot on this show but sometimes they can be a bit of an indicator as to where the oscars might be going right they're relatively popular
1: uh and I, i think it's worth
0: kind of talking about what's going on so andy what happened to the golden globes this year
1: well, one thing before we get into it, I wanted to mention that the Golden Globes had become kind of this black sheep of the award show. A couple of years ago, there were all these uh, kind of allegations of of corruption. There there were of people taking bribes uh, of like people getting like fancy hotels or like that kind of stuff to sway votes, and uh, they weren't supported for a while, and they weren't even like they had they couldn't find anywhere to air um and i think they actually aired somewhere online <laughs> uh, this time as, as well but um so but they have managed to turn that around they have diversified kind of their their voting uh group gr- voting block uh and the golden globes have gotten a little bit more respect than they had even a few years ago and that that's important to just remember in the background moving on to the awards we have a uh, best motion picture drama the winner was the fablemans which I can't roll my eyes any harder at uh also yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Also nominated was Avatar the Way of Water, Elvis, Tar and Top Gun uh Zach, What do you think about this?
0: Okay, first off, we haven't seen the Fablemans for all your eye roll. Like, you don't actually know. It might be amazing, but we're pretty skeptical here on Offscript. Uh look, we love Spielberg just fine. But yeah, there has been a lot of good stuff that came out this year uh of the five. I'm a little surprised it didn't just go to Top Gun. Um because I mean, everybody liked Top Gun, right?
1: Right. Th- that's what I'm having a, a hard time with, and I do need to see this, but like, I just don't see a f- a family drama really winning over big things like Elvis or Avatar, even which I'm not a fan of Avatar, but at least it's a big event, of you know, a director with a grand vision, and it's really like something new in cinema. Something with with Top Gun, but here we are. Uh, moving on to uh, best performance by an actress went to Kate Blanchett for Tar, which we're going to be talking about. Uh, briefly And uh, other nominees were Olivia Coleman For Empire of Light, Viola Davis For The Woman King, Anna de Armas For Blonde, nice to see her on there uh, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans So of that list, Zach
0: <laughs> Listen, um, I First off, was surprised That uh, Michelle Yeoh wasn't on That list for Everything Everywhere, because she's Tremendous in it, and I think she's being Shortlisted for the Oscars, alongside Of course, many of she's- these
1: nominees She's on the musical or comedy. Oh, that's
0: right. She's in me. Oh, okay. Yeah, she is. Okay, well, then disregard that. Of the five we have here, Duke Cate Blanchett's really good in tar. We're going to talk about tar in just a minute. Let's talk about the Golden Globes and what this might mean. But, uh, Duke Cate
1: Blanchett's really good in tar. <laughs> she is really solid. Really, really good. Uh, best performance by an actor uh, for drama. Winner went to, I almost said Elvis Winner went to Austin almost. Butler. Yeah. For Elvis, uh, other nominees were Brendan Fraser for the Wh- the Whale, Hugh Jackman the Sun, Bill Nye for Living, and Jeremy Pope, uh, the Inspection. Uh, not surprised at all uh, for Austin Butler. As far as Oscars goes, though, uh, a lot of times something like the Oscar is a culminate. It's a culminating award, so Austin Butler will probably need to get a few more features under his belt before he he wins the big one. But nice to see him him win here.
0: Yeah. Uh notably Brendan Fraser won, won uh just the other night at the Critics Choice Awards uh for The Whale as best performance in an actor. Uh, he had a really really great tearful acceptance speech. Uh it's worth mentioning he did he does not attend the Golden Globes because of uh some previous happenings with the Hollywood Foreign Press uh who puts it on. You can read about Brendan Fraser and that uh go off. Um but uh I, the only other one I think I might have had a chance to was Bill Nye for living. We haven't seen it, but I've heard nothing but incredible things about
1: his yeah, performance Yeah, I've heard really good movie. things about that.
0: So, I did, we did see a trailer once. Probably should watch that at some point. Other than that, you're kind of right. Austin Butler's got a whole career to, to earn an Oscar, all right? Elvis is real good, but I don't know if he'll take the crown. Uh, with that, we should jump into best motion picture, musical, or comedy. Actually, a stacked category. After this, I'm probably not going to bother to read uh, other uh, other nominees unless it's notable. When it was the Banshees of Inishirin, uh, going up against Everything Everywhere all at once, Glass, Onion, Babylon, and Triangle of Sadness. And some of you might write off Babylon, but a lot of you didn't see Triangle of Sadness. But Everything Everywhere is a really, really big one to topple. It's a tremendous feature. I think it's shortlisted for Best Picture at the Oscars. Andy, what do you think?
1: I- I'm surprised band I mean, I-, I like the Banshees of Inishirin, but... And it it is it is great filmmaking and really kind of profound movie. But I I would just think something more creative like Babylon or Everything Everywhere would would have won.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat. Best performance by an actress in the motion picture musical comedy goes to Michelle Yeoh. Everything Ever All at Once. There we go. Finally, representation. Yeah. Yes, uh, and and surprising to me a little. I think the other two that were worth mentioning are Margot Robbie and Babylon, and Anya Taylor Joy in the Menu. Uh, both solid. Neither of them, I think, beat Michelle Yeoh. Like, gosh, she's so good in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, best performance by an actor in a motion picture, music or comedy goes to Colin Farrell. in of Industry and My Man is shortlisted to win everything this year. God, everybody loves him in that movie. He's got the biggest, bushiest, saddest eyebrows, and he loves his donkey. I mean, what's not to love? <laughs> like, <laughs> he does. He does great in that movie. Uh, only other one I think might have had a real swing at it was Daniel Craig and Glass Onion in a you know, Knives Out mystery or. Uh, Ralph, Fine, Ray Fiennes in the menu. Who's really good? Ray Fiennes right, is I, real good in the menu.
1: I, I've heard that Colin Farrell and uh Brendan Fraser are basically the con- main contenders for this award in for, in the Oscars.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably gonna hold up come uh, next Tuesday when we find out who the noms are.
1: What's next? Uh, Best Motion Picture Animated went to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which I. F- Flipped out about because I thought it was Disney's Pinocchio that had won it, and I was like, gonna throw a table. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I
0: remember you texted me about it, and I was like, that's a good thing. You like that movie. Yeah, it was great. Um,
1: Yeah, so really excited about that. Definitely uh, deserves it. Yes. Uh, Uh, Notably,
0: uh, two stop motion movies this year and nominated Gamera del Toro's Pinocchio and Marcel's El Shoes On. So, hey, shout out to my stop motion fans.
1: Best motion picture non-English language uh, which is formerly foreign film which they've kind of phased out that phrase all quiet on the western front from Germany was nominated the winner Argentina 1985 from Argentina we have not I've not heard of this film before I've not seen it um, but it, it's beat I mean it beat all the w- things we do know decision to leave RRR all quiet on the western front so it's, it's must be something special
0: listen decision to leave is stellar and all quiet on the western front is a stunning feature and i haven't watched it but i hear RRR, which is on netflix might be one of the best films like of all time we really need to sit down and give it a go at some point i have never heard of argentina in 1985 that movie must be like the the eyes of god it must be one of the most special films ever i I, like i don't know I, i gotta see what that movie's about
1: um Best Performance by uh, Supporting Actress, went to Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. There, there's talk that she could win the, the Oscar uh, you know, in a couple of months. We'll see how the nominations. Um, other other, no, other, notables are Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything, Everywhere, All At Once and Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inna Sharon.
0: Listen, I, I wish all of them could be winners in my heart, but man, Bassett's so good in Black Panther. She totally holds up like an emotional pillar in that film that I don't know that few others I think could, could bring to the table. Like she's tremendous, uh, best performance by an actor in supporting role goes to K Kwan, uh, everything everywhere all at once. Hey man, my man short round finally getting some recognition. Thank God. Good for him. A- another one, just like Fraser, emotional speech. Everybody loves it. It feels like he's getting his, it, it's his turn. Like, look, Hollywood loves that stuff. All right. Like fantastic for him. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. but... <laughs> no, other <laughs> other than other than other than more. Th-
1: then there were two nominees from the Banches of Venice Sheer and Brendan Gleason and Barry uh Keegan.
0: Brendan Gleason and
1: Barry Moving Keegan. Moving on to yes. Best Picture, Best Director, the big one, uh went to Steven Spielberg for the Fablemans, every all the other big directors, James Cameron, uh the Dan- the Daniels, Ball Martin Mutgana also nominated. Uh not surprising well, actually, I'm kind of surprised. I feel like he's winning because he's the name. Like anyone else comes out with that movie, and like you're not going to be that that interested. Again, I, we need to watch it. But
0: who Spielberg?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I
0: mean, listen. Like I know we need to watch the Men's, all right. And I look. I'm not saying Spielberg's not incredibly talented. He obviously is. But like, I don't know. Yeah. Like we're look. We're just not that confident. We're people that go watch movies and we feel like it's probably fine. Like probably I don't know. Maybe, look, maybe it's great. Maybe it's great, um but i really hope I really hope Daniels had it for everything everywhere this year. Uh,
1: best screenplay uh went to the Banshees of Sheeran, uh from Martin McDonough. No surprise there really great, great writing uh tar, everything everywhere, women talking and the fablemans for the other nominees. <laughs>
0: Um, this one actually surprises me a little. Like, I like Banshees a ton. Like, and Martin McDonough has put in some great work. I'm surprised
1: but, but Babylon isn't on there.
0: I'm a little surprised Babylon's not on there. Everything everywhere is a really special sort of script about generational trauma. Living with ADHD. <laughs> it's got a lot going on in it. Uh and and again, we're about to talk about Tar. Tar's script is like razor sharp, man. It's real good. Like it's so dense, and it's written by somebody who like clearly is steeped in the musical world. Like Tar's really special. So Banshees is great. Um, but it's 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 I think it's beautiful and its minimalism, and that's why it's so appreciated here. Uh best original score. I'm really excited to talk about this one. Babylon! Yeah! Yeah, <laughs> Justin Hurwitz takes one. Uh, other, other exciting uh, nominees included Hilda, uh, good, Goodna Goodna good, good, for women talking. I don't actually, <laughs> good I, Daughter Goodna daughter, that's it. Uh, women talking uh, Carter Burwell from Banshees of and John Williams for the Fableman. Listen, love John Williams. All right. He's great. Banshees has a great soundtrack. Haven't seen women talking Dude, ba- the Babylon soundtrack goes so hard. Like if it, for anybody who's like it's Babylon sucked, you cannot tell me the Babylon soundtrack is bad. It isn't like, it's so great.
1: Uh, Moving on to our our last category, best original song went to To Natu Natu from RRR, which was apparently a huge upset because it beat things like Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, and Rihanna, who all had huge songs in major uh, films. Taylor Swift for uh, a song called Carolina from Where the Crawdads Sing, Lady Gaga from Top Gun Maverick. Rihanna from Wakanda forever so really incredible that this other song from R R one.
0: Yeah, a little bit too. Uh you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't hum the Top Gun Maverick song from Lady Gaga. I at least remember the Rihanna track pretty well. Um, but again, man, I, I hear R R is something really special. We'll watch it. It's it's gotta happen for the podcast at some point. It's on Netflix. We get we get no excuse. Um and any hot takes towards the Oscars? What do you think? Is this pretty accurate? Is this
1: um, I, I think we'll, well, I mean, there's always things that get snubbed. There's always things, there's surprises. Uh, so some things will will not be su- surprised. There'll there'll be films we haven't talked about or really thought about that'll be on the Oscars, and then things that you know should be on there that that aren't. Um, it'll be interesting to see like the best pictures because they can choose as many as ten. It's usually eight or nine. So it'll be what interesting what ends up on that list, who who, who they pick for these. The directors, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. those get announced Tuesday morning, early, f- like seven a.m. because they happen at five a.m. on the West Coast, super early. So they hit all the media stuff by like nine. uh But we'll we'll be on ready to talk about that uh at the end of next week.
0: It's been a really tremendous year at the movies. Twenty twenty two had a lot going on. It seems like twenty twenty three is going to be even more exciting. If you want to check out our top ten lists, you can go back and listen to our previous episode. I think two hundred. Was when we did our top ten of 2022. Had a lot of winners on there, and definitely some that aren't mentioned here at all, like Sam mendez's Empire of Light or uh, Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All or Paramount Pictures' Jackass Forever. So I guess it's been a good time at the movies, and I'm hoping that the Oscars uh coming out next week with the Oscar noms will reflect that. Uh, with that, we should move into our final film of the episode. We are running long, so we're gonna see if we can keep this one tight. But I'm really excited to talk about it. Andy, please take it away.
1: Tar. If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tarr is many things. So this is As the latest doctor, film from director Todd Field, who hasn't made a movie in like 16 years. His last film was Little Children from 2006 or seven. Uh, great film starring Kate Winslet. Uh, really really like that movie. Definitely ch- check it out. Mm-hmm. This movie is about a woman named Lydia Tarr, who is a... Uh, world famous uh professional conductor of symphony orchestras uh we first meet her doing this kind of npr style interview where there's basically bringing up all her accolades you know she is uh studied at, at juilliard she got her phd in vienna she's conducted all the major five orchestras in the united states she's conducted she's currently the like the the principal conductor of the berlin philharmonic one of the best orchestras in in the world, she is an EGOT winner, meaning she's won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. She's God's gift to music and conducting, and she she is working on this uh, recording of all of Mahler's uh, nine symphonies, and sh- they they are working on the last one, the the famous Fifth Symphony, probably Mahler's mo- most famous, and uh, they will soon be starting rehearsals with the Berlin Philharmonic to do this epic. Uh, recording with Dorcha Gramophone. And that's kind of how we meet her. She's this this star of the classical music world, incredible, like, fond over genius. Um, but she's kind of a terrible person. And uh, she, she is, um, like, even though she's a, a musical, in, incredibly musically, uh, she's very manipulative. She's very narcissistic. She uses her position of power... Uh, she abuses her position of power she manipulates other people she uh you know she is for lack of a better term she's a womanizer she's a, uh she's a lesbian she has a partner with one of the violinists in in her orchestra they they have uh, a daughter but she still kind of has you know, she fools around on, on the side to the kind of to the knowledge of everyone um and so we we have this very flawed character which is part of the reason uh, Martin Scorsese was saying that this movie like is saving cinema but i and i can see why he likes it because he likes flawed characters uh as well and at the beginning we we after we meet her she does a, cl- a conducting class at Juilliard um and she's very she's very old school she uh kind of belittles the this young conductor who just wants to conduct new music and she's like well why don't you just c- conduct some bach you know get into to the roots and he's like well I he's kind of a problematic figure he sired 20 odd children he's not i'm not as a person of color i'm not interested in his music and and she kind of does not jive with <laughs> with this whole thing she's like you don't know what you're talking about you're never going to be a conductor if you've never conducted bach and uh, this is the kind of a person uh she she is and this is Kind of, this is our setup. I'm not going to talk too much longer, but that's who we get. We, we get this brilliant conductor who's also a very flawed uh, person and whose decisions kind of create some self-destruction. Zach, what'd you think?
0: Uh, Andy and I watched this movie together uh, at his place. It's available on video on demand uh, for five ninety nine. dollars um, And let me tell you, uh, I do not have much of a musical background. And Dr. Draper, on the other end of the, other end of the mic, is an esteemed uh, musical fellow who has done a lot, played a lot of instruments. My man knows his music. Watching this movie next to a music major is a bit of a blessing and a curse because Andy was able to fill in a lot of gaps that I didn't understand. Um, but at the same time, uh, Lydia Tarr is hoisted on the shoulders of absolute giants in the opening of this film, uh, the, after, after a brief introduction with a, a, a bunch of opening credits uh, featuring a lot of the music in the film, the artists who brought it together, uh, Lydia Tarr is explained to be like one of the greatest of all time. She's got an, she's got an EGOT, right? Which is a Emmy Grammy Oscar Tony, like alongside 15 others of the most talented people in the world. She's worked with the greatest composers studied under Leonard Bernstein, like, This movie goes out of its way to put her next to the names of like the most creative, talented people ever to walk the earth. And then systematically over two hours and 37 minutes just boils her down in a character study that is like really fascinating of a woman who fundamentally uh, abuses her position, like in one way or another and it's kind of kind of amazing it does it through an agonizingly uh slow presentation of a life full of spinning plates lydia tar is juggling a person over in this country and and then she's got her family back home and then she's got the 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 big thing coming up in berlin and she's she's practicing on her piano and she's bouncing between houses and, residence and, and residences and residencies and auditions like to create like quite the maze of a life and over the course of the film we get to know her in like a shockingly intimate way as a person who is very flawed and is supremely human uh in 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 a way that she is not presented at the open and i think it's kind of stellar god kate blanchett does such a fantastic job as lydia tar i mean she she has incredible monologues usually multiple minutes at a time without cuts uh there's a fantastic 10 minute sequence in the first act andy had mentioned it um where she delivers i mean not only instruction but critique and ultimately dashes another artists like a- ambitions in one scene she walks up and down stairs backwards she she <laughs> waves her arms like a conductor conducting an orchestra and that's only when she's instructing. She manages to lead, like composers, and 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 st- instruct other musicians and present as like such a stellar individual. Um, and it, it, I don't know if this movie would work without her at the at the center of it. She is the ooey gooey center of Lydia Tar,
1: right? Like you said, she she has all those things of a person in in power. Um, and the thing about classical music, it's it's very small. It's not like I my kind of analogy to film would be like if you were taking a class and Steven Spielberg came in and talked to your class like that doesn't really happen in film because those directors are so big but in classical music it's more likely for something like that to happen but she's so she's so powerful that she's such a kingmaker that everyone is kind of afraid of her and everyone wants to just do her bidding because they you know she can make her and break careers and we kind of see the problem about that and what I uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's some issues with this movie, but I think what I, I love what it's about. And it's, I, I think that that age old question of like, can you separate the the art from the, the artist? and the older people are, the, the more for willingness, we the more willing we are to do that. But I think Todd Fee- Field is really presenting that question is like, well, what happens if you don't, or what happens if you experience mm-hmm. those, those terrible things from brilliant minds kind of a, in the present?
0: uh tar is a bit of a musical character study uh it reminded me in its open of like whiplash right damien chazelle a student who is uh struggling to take instruction from a very harsh uh instructor but that is like only a small slice of lydia tar in fact uh she's got multiple kind of pieces of baggage uh she's got a family and a young daughter uh and i believe a wife i think they're actually properly married uh, she's got, a, an orchestra who she's trying to manage effective relationships with. She's got an assistant composer or assistant conductor who she wants to get rid of. But as Andy tells me, like that doesn't, that doesn't really work that way at that level. Um, she's got the, the biggest audience in the world, uh, at the biggest, uh, symphony hall in the world in Berlin, like a, a super special place. She's got a, a mentor she looks up to. She's got a board of directors to please. Lydia Tarr is like a, a very high functioning member of society, and she's uh, in all parts genius. Like her, her ability to—I don't know—I don't, I don't know how to express it musically. Craft a symphony that like is unheard of from other conductors, and and and, and present music. And I mean, I don't know. Help me fill in the blanks right, here, what, Andy. Why is she? Right. Why is her well, talent so special as a conductor?
1: Well, we're never really told that. We, we just. She just is. She just is a star. You know, it, it's. It does, we don't really get into the weeds of why her conducting is so great or why why she's such a revered person, and it doesn't really matter. I mean, she, this could honestly take place in any; it could take place in sports or in entertainment or in different things. the The point is that she is a star in this world, and she wields a lot of power, and she abuses a lot of power. we were talking about relationships, like she we see her kind of flirting with someone at, at uh, after this this class that she teaches and it's clear that they're probably gonna get to know each other famously later on there is the kind of result of some sort of destructive relationship that is creeping in the background that is getting closer and closer we see her also eyeing a new a new cellist joins the orchestra and she kind of begins manipulating situations to be around this this cellist and again it's a huge power imbalance because this is like a young girl new to the orchestra. She's not even full full time time yet there, or isn't a full member. Meanwhile, you have the conductor who can make or break your career, showing some interest. And so you see, she just has this tendency to just kind of take what she wants and and not care about the circumstances or or the consequences rather. Um, but I wanted to touch on one thing that really stood out to me is that uh, Lydia Tar is kind of a dinosaur in some ways. You see her really out of touch, particularly in that opening scene with the uh with this where her and the student kind of get into it because he's like, Well, I'm a BIPOC pan gender, this. I don't relate to a white guy an old white guy like Bach. And she just really blows that off. And but there's other things like she, she doesn't she's kind of taken aback when her this new young cellist that she she likes uh well i watched you know people on youtube that's how i got into it and she's like appalled that oh you you mean you weren't listening to this person on a record and there's she is slowly or probably more than she realizes kind of out of touch with reality kind of out of touch with culture and that's part of why she is so terrible yeah
0: tar like her un un unraveling over the course of the movie is particularly effective um, because the movie really respects its audience um it's not going to hit you over the head and be like look at what Lydia Tarr did that's wrong like it'll usually just kind of like if she's looking at a text message we'll just cut to the text message briefly with the text on screen for you know five seconds and then cut back to her reaction and the scene moves on like it, it's a movie that asks you to sit down and really ponder like the people you're looking at and the situations you're seeing and often that leads to a level of, an air of perception that I think is kind of baked into Lydia Tarr's very identity. How people perceive her is obviously very important to her. I mean, she, she as the conductor, she sees herself as uh, the navigator of time. This is actually explained really well in an opening monologue. Uh, time moves with Lydia Tarr. Time stops with Lydia Tarr. Everybody moves at her pace. Uh, when she wants her orchestra's attention, she says, all eyes on me. Eyes up here. Everybody, everybody look at me. I, I'm, I'm the star. Everything surrounds me. The orchestra surrounds me. And she sees herself as this hoisted up on this podium in this moment as this great thing. And what's really fascinating is to watch Lydia Tarr's life <laughs> become something that or really like uh, to see it blossom into something that is not all that fantastic. And, and to see her like juggling these problems that she creates for herself. Creates a very stellar symphony of wrongdoings that lead to, I think, a very satisfying conclusion. As we were watching the movie at one point, I got up to go to the bathroom. It's on VOD, and he paused it, and he said, hey, when is this going to go wrong? <laughs> when is this going to turn? When is this going to ta- take, this? when is this situation going to reach some kind of climactic something, and we begin to see the fallout? Uh, and it very satisfyingly like brings us into a place i think that will appease viewers or at least most it's definitely received some criticism uh namely from i can't recall her name i'm looking at imdb trivia now and i can't find it but a composer who somebody said the film may be loosely based on another female a female conductor i'm sorry uh who has said that she very much disagrees with the presentation in here and that she disagrees with the way conductors are perceived and She's offended as a lesbian. She's offended as a woman, and I think that's all like worth looking at. I think that's important discourse right. to have. That's why I wanted to bring it up on the show.
1: That reminds me, uh, she is a lesbian in the, in the film, but she's also very kind of masculine presenting, and not just in her appearance, like she wears these pantsuits, but just kind of in her attitude. And I think that's something. You uh, in. To take away, because she's asked, you know, have you been the victim of sexual harassment or you know uh, discrimination? And she's like, no, not not at all. I, you know, like I, I've, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants. And it's kind of an exercise in privilege. It's like you're you're kind of denying that that exists just because it hasn't happened uh, to you. And she kind of she behaves very much like men in this power imbalance structure have acted. And as someone who was in the world of classical music for a long time, this that's very real and that's a huge problem um because again it's people in power around people who are trying to have careers and feel it's very difficult to get into and there's huge power imbalances and people often just feel you know pressured to do things they normally wouldn't because of of their, their career so that's kind of a study uh in that
0: i do think the movie might be a little long Two hours thirty
1: seven minutes, yes, and it, absolutely, it,
0: it does tend to drag. Uh, what you get though in that exchange is a specific attention, to detail and nuance. Um, it reminded me in pacing a little of that, like that movie, um, movie, a video game. Uh, it reminds me of a video game, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, a video game where things can move agonizingly slow because the video, the game developer Rockstar uh, wanted you to feel like things were happening in real time and feel the impact of things. So when you go to get on your horse, your cowboy. And it just takes like a minute to get up on the horse. The cowboy's got to swing his leg up and get over and shift his weight, And the horse has got to back up and then you can get going. And Tar, I think, takes a lot of those same cues in, in spirit anyway. Uh, it is a movie that moves slow, but at the expense of like, I think, an emotional plot that rings pretty sharp. For What it is, I, I, you know, something is up with Lydia Tarr. They wouldn't, it wouldn't be a three hour movie about a fictional character named after her if it wasn't about something. And you know, it's there but once you kind of get to the ooey gooey center, of what that is. I think you come out with something really fascinating. I, I, Andy's right, like Scorsese talking about, oh my god, this is fantastic. A man who already loves character studies, I think, says all it needs to about how special this movie is and why I think it's a contender for Oscar season. Planchet is so God, she's so good in this movie. I can't get over it. I mean, it's probably one of her best performances.
1: Yeah. It's fantastic performance for her playing this kind of terrible narcissistic uh, abuser uh, essentially. And, but also for someone who is overextending their power and overestimating how much power they do actually have. It is definitely too long. It could cut 20, 30 minutes for sure.
0: With that, I'm not sure I have much more to say about it, Andy. Any other thoughts or recommendations? Uh, thoughts on the music? Mahler, Beethoven? I don't, I don't. Really, it, it, I mean, really it know.
1: just it, it makes great use of Mahler's fifth symphony. It's a lot. The music pops up a lot in this.
0: Mm, all right. Well, they, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Tar?
1: Uh, I would say save it for, for streaming like like we watched it. Like I said, it's very, very long, and it does get in in the weeds It with like classical music. I knew a lot of what they were talking about because I, that's what I studied in college, but it could be a little bit hard to follow. Her performance is great, and I love the themes of this movie. It's just a little bit too long.
0: I think I'm in the same boat. It's good stuff. It's definitely drawn as an epic, but... It may not be quite as epic as Lydia Tarr believes she is. That being said, like, I still think it's very good at what it does. I think it's a razor sharp script script from somebody who's been steeped in the music world. Hey, it's crazy to read Todd field who wrote and directed it. He hasn't done a movie since 2006. And apparently he wrote this script in like 12 weeks and wrote it only for Blanchett. Hey, apparently it wasn't going to do it for Blanchett. It, it, it was a whole thing. There's a story about him crashing his car while he was on the phone with her agent. But Either way, I think I'm glad Tar exists. I'm glad a movie like this can get in theaters. I do think it's something really stellar and sets a bar for what's possible in character study space. And with that, I think it wraps our show for the week. Andy, what are we watching next week?
1: So We're trying to figure out what we're going to watch. Uh, There's a couple of new releases. uh, The Sun starring... Hugh Jackman and Missing, starring Storm Reid. Uh, these are coming out. We're not going to be watching them. We're not. We don't have a whole lot of interest. The big thing is that the Oscar nominations are going to be announced next Tuesday. We're going to be talking about that, and we're going to see probably find something online to watch. Maybe something like The Fableman's or RRR or something like that.
0: That's right. It's going to be it's going to be a surprise next week on Off Script Film Review. If you are interested in what we might be watching, if you liked our reviews today, if you want to know more about Skinnamarink or if uh tar really is worth the price of admission, uh, feel free to follow us on social media. You can follow us on, on podcast too, but that's by subscribing. I'll get to that in just a second. We live stream the show. Every face, every Facebook, every Tuesday on Facebook around five PM CST, and you can watch our full episodes there. Comment while we're doing the show. Engage with us here. Uh, we upload our live streams to YouTube. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram, and you can find us in all the usual podcast outlets: iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia. The best way to follow us on those is to subscribe to the show. You can subscribe on any podcast outlet that you're listening to us or watching us on. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. And, uh, you know, keep up with your boys here at Offscript. Movies are expensive, podcasts are cheap, and Offscript is here for you. You can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, uh, to see more reviews, interviews Andy's been doing all over the country. It's bananas. My man has been out hustling, and <laughs> it's right. working. Yeah, I love it. So if you came here from those, uh, hello. Thanks for listening. And uh, you can email us, correspondence right into the show, at mail at com. I think that about covers everything from all of us at Offscript. The home, Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Thanks for watching.